now entering Hello and welcome back to the Horror Sanctum Podcast. I'm Jay with John and TJ. Uh, and this week we're joined by actor, writer, and producer Frank Farrell, uh, who I think you're best known for Street Trash and Spookies, uh, which are two great cult films. Uh, I, I, I like them both. I adore Street Trash. I can't explain why, but I do. Uh, so thank you for taking some time with us and welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. And uh Let's see. Are you are you seeing me on video? Because right now I'm just seeing you guys. I haven't switched to a view with myself, so mm-hmm. I just want to confirm that yeah. I'm a pure. We see. Okay. We see. All right, then we're good. Um, great to meet you all, and thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely, Thanks. Frank, and and I think we we first connected on on social media, and I was just so so glad to see the the resurgence of of Spookies finally getting some attention in yes. recent years, and uh, getting on the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs, and and getting on some streaming services, and Street Trash has always been it's maybe my favorite exploitation type. Really, I, I, I mean, I think it's one of the great exploitation films myself. Um, you know, and and I guess you you know somewhat that there were issues with the making of Spookies, but with Street Trash, uh, I think it there were a lot of reasons. It it turned out I feel as well as it did. I think you know the the director uh, was uh, you know getting uh, financing through his dad's connections, so he had a lot of leeway in terms of probably going a little further than if we'd been under really strict financial control so that that added to it but I, I just think also that it was packed with creative people uh it has uh it, it's like occasionally i'll read things saying oh this film is terrible the photography is terrible the acting is terrible and it's like oh, wait a minute i i really beg to differ it's it's like photography is way above average for a film of this sort and editing and so yeah. i i you know i feel somewhat defensive of that and spookies I feel more defensive of a lot of the uh, the creature creations almost than anything else because the the actual f- scenes are are totally recut and and in many cases really uh, pretty much ruined by what was done to them. So so maybe let's let's kind of bring it back chronologically because I know in, in looking at your filmography you are the seltzer ghost not ghost oh, seltzer zombie. zombie seltzer zombie. Seltzer all right. Well, now there, there's a part I have to try for. Uh, well, hey, you, you could you could use your reel from Dawn of the Dead to be the Seltzer Ghost later, and maybe a new paranormal activity seven. Oh yeah, I mean that was I, I went uh, with one of my partners from Spookies, Brendan Faulkner. We went uh, out on location where they were shooting Dawn of the Dead, uh, twelve hours drive in a blizzard to get to the mall from New York, and uh, it was really worth it because I mean it, it was. Uh, I had been a f- big fan of Night of the Living Dead for many years, and to, to, to even know this was happening was very exciting. And then to to hear, oh well, they need zombies. If you if you just show up, you'll you'll probably get into the picture. Yeah, it's it's a shame they don't really that that whole Pittsburgh crew with George Romero and everything. It's it's a shame that they don't really have. Uh, since Romero's passing, something well, I mean, I, they don't have, they don't, like have that. they don't have someone to be to be centered around in that sense. I mean, there's there's still filmmaking going on there, just like there is almost everywhere, you know, for in, in any country in the world right now. Yeah. Uh, 
but uh, the fact is that uh, you know he was he was really at the center of the Pittsburgh scene. For yeah, for sure. And there's still film school out there that Tom Savini has. Oh yeah. And uh, we've known some people had some people on the show that's graduated from, I think both sides of that. Um, but uh, yeah. So tell us how you got into filmmaking. Were you already into filmmaking when you did I the did, zombie I got very thing? In movies in general, around the age of maybe eleven or twelve. And that was, you know, initially through the, you know, whatever movies I could watch on TV at the time, which was mostly much older movies. So I became a big fan of uh, basically all of film history of everything from the beginning through today. I'm, I'm always fascinated by how things are done and, you know, what, uh, how things have, have changed over the years. And uh, I like the early days of filmmaking just in terms of, uh, of like a historical interest, because it was like they were sort of making everything up as they went along. And there was, you know, it was, anything was likely to work or not work. Yeah, yeah, kind of like the uh, the guy that did the the man in the moon picture that uh, Martin Scorsese did, did the movie about. Oh, yeah, uh, the, George Milliers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, George Milliers. Yeah, some of that stuff was like, you know, it was like real magic back in the day. Right. And I can really imagine like at the time when it was still such like absolutely like unheard of technology that you were pioneering it, it must have been really exciting to be a part of something like that. Or terrifying. You know, the first film they ever showed, I think, was at like a World's Fair and it was just a, a train coming in. Right. Yeah, that's a famous story that, that people ran because they were worried they'd be run over. Uh, and it, But it's believable. I mean, I, I don't know if it's true, but it is believable. It's it's a good story. So, so tell us how you first got involved with Spookies, which I know didn't start well, out I mean, as Spookies. Had, from the time I was eleven or twelve, I got very interested in film. I became at one point I was a film collector. I collected on eight millimeter, sixteen millimeter before the days of a uh, video commonly being available. Um, and I, you know, I got my first uh, home movie camera at the age of like eleven, twelve, something like that. Uh, and, you know, immediately wanted to make like, you know, horror movies and and like so many other people, I think, uh, wind up being inspired. But uh, what really uh, started to give me some direction to go in is I had a good uh, situation in high school where there was actually a filmmaking class that was offered, which I took for a couple of years, made some award winning short films and, you know, found some footing and a sense that, yeah, maybe I, maybe I should do this. This is like, uh, I really love it and people like my work so far. So I, I continued. I eventually hooked up uh, at the State University at Purchase, New York, uh, in uh, Westchester County, where I, I grew up more or less. Uh, I met a couple of guys, Brendan Faulkner and Tom Doran in one of the classes there, uh, which was actually taught by Roy Frumkus, who was the central producer on uh, Street Trash and wrote the script. And, uh, you know, we, we hit it, I hit it off with Roy and I hit it off with them. So I wound up eventually making films with both of them. And he wasn't all that much older than, than most of the, the crew, right? Roy? He was about 10 years older than I was at the time. So I, I, I although, I mean, he was, no, I mean, I, I, in, in terms of the crew, for instance, on Street Trash, a lot of that crew was like students who were still like 19, 20 years old. So Roy was maybe 15 years older than a lot of them. I, I, I wouldn't know precisely. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it 
that that was a production where we uh, we had a lot of uh, newcomers and people who were working for the first time in positions on the crew, but we also had people heading up almost every department that were experienced, that were professional, that could guide that process. Yeah. So he he didn't have anything to do with Spookies, though, right? Jimmy did work on Spookies. He uh, it and uh, and this is like a, hor a horrible thing to have to admit, but uh, he. He worked on Spookies. Uh, there was originally a prologue in Spookies, right? Okay. That uh, happens before any of the other characters are at the house. And that was chopped out and the scene with Billy and the birthday party was put in. Okay. okay. And uh, essentially, um, they, uh, pardon me here, let me think, I'm just trying to. What were they saying? I'm, I'm juggling a few thoughts here. So the characters that we first meet that are driving in the cars, trying to get there, there was a, a pre-scene before that? Right, and it was shot, and it was edited, and it was in the film until we left it, and then it was eventually gone. So I... I uh, I, I uh, Gosh, I had a, a larger point, which I can't recall at the moment, but... Uh, the fact is that, um, as you know, I mean, if you, you said you looked at the documentary. Yeah, yeah, I watched the documentary. Yeah, I just, I think that probably gives as clear a picture as you're likely to get, although there's there's plenty more that, that could have gone into it in terms of information. Um, it, uh, Jimmy, were, oh, here's what I was going to say. Jimmy Muro worked on Street, on Spookies. I mean, I brought him out to the crew and he was there working with us and he had already acquired a Steadicam at that point. This is before... Uh, street trash and he was sh going to shoot stuff for us i mean we planned to use it and uh he did not get along with our ken kelsch our director of photography you know and ken, ken's like a really he he was then and he and he still is a, a respected director of photography he's like abel ferrara's go-to guy for many of his films uh so he and he shot all kinds of tv and movies in the new york area primarily but uh, he and Jimmy just like somehow like uh, it, it, there was a big clash there and it was it came it literally came down to all right, we either have to get rid of our director of photography or we have to lose our steady cam. And I'm glad Jimmy didn't you know, hold anything against me because he brought me on to street trash subsequently. But, you know, it it, uh, it, was, it was frustrating. I mean, it was frustrating for me, especially because this was my first full-fledged feature film and I really I wanted it was important to me that people got along in fact I hired a lot of people based on what seemed to be the fact that they they were reasonable people so at what point did uh Vipco become a part of the uh, <laughs> uh myself production? And my, Tom and Brendan my two partners we were looking around for for financing for something we had several projects that we did uh in various situations, we did a uh, like a, a trailer for one thing. We did a teaser for another. We started shooting an anthology film, which we thought we could just you know do one story at a time. Uh, and 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 the problem is, especially when you're working very low budget and you're just you've got minimal capital and you're trying to get more, is that if something else comes along and some money like is possibly available to do something else, suddenly you're doing a whole other project because it's possible to do that and the other thing has to be on hold so that we went through a lot of that and uh spookies was really a matter of uh we had uh a few people we knew uh one of them was uh, jennifer aspinall who was one of our effects people who was on spookies and street trash and uh, later became an emmy uh, pardon me, emmy award-winning makeup artist 
uh, and uh, who's, you know, work I've always admired. Uh, she apparently had worked briefly on a, a film, this guy, Michael Lee, who was the head of Vipco, had tried to make in the UK and started to make and did shoot a substantial portion of. And in fact, it's, it's in the documentary where it says he made, you know, this film with Terry Marcel, who was like a somewhat known British director at the time. And it, it, what was there was just like awful. And my partner, Tom Doran, was brought over. Uh, I, I still can't believe Michael actually paid for this, but he flew him over to screen the movie so that he could get an opinion on it. And that was, those was this is before it was easy to get quick video transfers or just send something over the internet or anything else. So he went over and he looked at it and we hear from him and it's like, all right, um, it's terrible. <laughs> like really terrible. I, I don't know what makes sense. So somehow this turned to, into us convincing him that we should start another film for him. And we had an idea we had started to put together. We had actually done a 16 millimeter um, short, uh, you know, promo piece for it. And we tried, you know, we tried to say, all right, we're, we're doing this. We're going to be planning to shoot 16 millimeter. We, uh, you know, we have something already shot. So that right there, you're saved some portion of the cost. Um, but he insisted he wanted to do his own type of movie, which uh, was, I mean, to be blunt, I mean, he, he, he just wanted to do a ripoff of The Evil Dead. He, he said that, you know, I, I want to do a film just like The Evil Dead. And we didn't want to do a film that was just like anybody's film. You know, we don't want to, you know, that was not our goal is to, to, to make ripoff movies of one sort or another. Uh, but I mean, we had to sort of play along to whatever extent. Uh, I think uh, I think the only ideas he really had came from other films he had watched or had seen, and he had uh, become aware that the, because he, he would go to the film markets every year to buy films for his own company. So films that he knew had made money, he would try and rip off this or that. And that's how a lot of European plagiarism is, has always been, especially with like Italian movies from the 80s, oh, yeah. where like any anything that's suddenly like of note in some film, they will they will rip off in 15 different ways <laughs> with with no context necessarily, but just to, because they say, oh, this is a good idea. And this film made money. Yeah. And then make 12 versions of it and just slightly <laughs> change. More or less. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, I mean, I think. I feel ultimately Spooky's wound up becoming through its re-editing almost that kind of a film. It's like it's like so many Italian movies that I really enjoy watching that have almost no coherency whatsoever. You just have to sort of go along and and hope there's at least something happening to keep your attention. Um, but uh, it's part of what I think now has made Spooky's uh, uh, somewhat popular uh, with people who have, especially who have either known it before but also a lot of people who have read this who have discovered it for the first time with its blu-ray release but it's uh it, ha it has like a dreamlike quality because no nothing makes really that much sense things are sort of loosely connected um i think a lot of people dislike it pr not primarily because it's a film you can't watch it and expect like any of the plot to to go coherently from one step to the next it's like you'll be in the middle of the scene and then suddenly it cuts to a completely different character and something else is going on. And the thing you were just watching is gone. It's like you just have to go with it. And then but suddenly it, there's monsters of all sorts. Right. Well, the, just monsters, killing everybody. the monsters keep everything going because our original intention when we realized the kind of film we were being hired to make and we weren't going to turn down the opportunity. It was really just, oh, we just got to keep the monsters coming and they have to be different 
and uh, you know they can't be just absolutely expected or or typical. And I think that that element always worked. I think uh, it's less effective in the finished film because I you know strangely for reasons I've never understood, a lot of the actual effects portions of those scenes are cut out. You know just. Uh, you know, the especially I mean, my favorite scene is the Spider Woman uh, sequence, and that was reduced uh, probably to like 50% or less of what it was. And, you know, things like multiple, you know, smaller spiders attacking the guy who's in the scene, uh, just uh, more transitions of the spider, a full, a full grown actual spider. I don't understand. I mean, I just I can't think of what the explanation is. So strange. So in your words, because I know a lot of people are curious, even people who have seen the movie, what would you say is the plot of Spookies? The original plot of Spookies was, and, and bear in mind, this was not our desired plot. It, it just, it, it was what we more or less were able to translate from what he, the elements he demanded be there. Um, well, first of all, he demanded it be, the characters all be teenagers. And we didn't just want to, we didn't want to just do another clone movie where all the characters are, are teenagers. So we, we just cast mostly actors we knew, people of different ages. We, you know, we just went with uh, what was, uh, what seemed sensible to do. Uh, but we, uh, we, we really, uh, we, we wound up, I think, in a position that uh, we, uh, we had no way to like really refuse to do the things he wanted but we tried to gear them in directions that maybe were a little more appealing or we thought were more interesting or visually, you know, worked, whatever it came down to. Um, so, I'm, I'm uh, more curious about, cause I've seen it many, many times. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm curious is, is the, the main bad guy who's trying to bring, I guess, his dead wife back to oh, life. Creon. No, that's no, in no way part of our movie. Okay, that's that wasn't intended to be part of your movie. Oh, that, uh, that has that was on. what was added was was him as the central villain of the piece. Uh, anything related to him, the Catman, uh, the Billy with his birthday party at the beginning, the the drifter he meets outside who starts to bury him, with, <laughs> uh, which in my theory, my here's my theory. I think that scene may be the only reason the movie got an R rating at its time of release. Because there's nothing in it that's R-rated. There's barely any blood. You know, most of the deaths take place in sort of sanitized ways. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't think of anything else. I do know at the time that's the kind of any anything kind of cruelty to children was very much frowned upon. Yeah, yeah. I I just assumed it was probably a PG because, like you said, that everything I happens very san sanitized. One is one of the things we were told to do is because. Uh, we originally wanted to go a little further with with gore and things like that and the you know the backer was very adamant about that because he had had trouble he was sort of at the center of the video nasties controversy in the 80s where he uh he really uh you know he risked uh, getting jailed and getting fined and even though he kept buying these sleazy far you know other you know like italian and spanish horror movies that he was making a lot of money with and and to to quote uh, and and to bring it back to another New York filmmaker Abel Ferrara who famously made the Driller Killer it was mm -hmm. it was a cover that Vipco released I'm pretty sure of that, the Driller yeah, yeah, Killer that created the whole really... video nasties yeah, craze exactly. yeah exactly and uh, you know I mean he sort of became like the the 
central figure, I think, in a lot of that, just because he 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 was someone smart enough. Well, I guess according to him, at least smart enough to get into uh, you know buying these things, you know, at, at an early stage, developing relationships and being able to buy several of them, uh, you know, every year and continue developing uh, various. Uh, uh, you know, this, the, the whole horror market was, I guess, probably relatively undeveloped compared to anything certainly that exists today. So one thing I was curious about with Spookies, yeah. and I, I know you mentioned this in another interview, you mentioned about a horror anthology that you were working on and Wes Craven was attached. Can you? That was, uh, yeah, ta- Tales That Will Tear Your Heart Out was the name of it. It was done under the auspices of the State University of Purchase, which I mentioned earlier that is you know that we had we had a film class going there uh, and it was Roy Frumkus initiated that he he just he thought it would be an idea to try and do a film with a student crew and bring the students into it as closely as possible and he thought an anthology was a way to go so he picked several students including myself and my partner Brendan Faulkner who went on to make spookies with me uh, and, a, and a couple of other students and then he also brought in professionals and Wes Craven, this is before, like, this is after Wes Craven had done Last House on the Left, but before he did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, or really became as well known as he was to yeah. become eventually. And uh, because so y'all were filming in 84 and it wasn't released till 86. No, we, no, no, no. We were shooting in like uh, closer to like 79 or 80 on that, actually. Oh, so, really? so does footage exist of this anywhere? It, or it is does. It, it does. There? Some of it. Um, the film Dr. Butcher MD contains title sequences. We, uh, Dr. Butcher is the Italian movie Zombie Holocaust. Oh, it contains sure. title sequences in the English language version, which are scenes from Tales That Will Tear Your Heart Out, directed by myself and Brendan, which, uh, which were at the time, without our being aware of it until after the fact, were sold by Roy, who, who was in possession of them, to Aquarius Releasing, who distributed the movie and uh so so uh and this was after the you know the anthology looked like it was dead uh but so retroactively i had my big screen debut with something that i made at the age of 19 which was kind of cool so what's what's interesting about the movie with spookies is it is a tale of two you know it's what you you guys shot and then it's what uh what was done after right, right? and one thing i noticed in the movie was there are some scenes that um, like Carol being possessed right? where she's talking and then you see Creon talking. And I thought to myself, right. what the original edit of that, was there someone else speaking those? Like how did know, that the, ori- the original edit was just that she becomes possessed by a demon that is controlling the other demons who are actually, who are, I mean, you see it in, in some of the early shots, like uh, especially of the Ouija board, where they're creatures, you know, on the board, these, these images of the various creatures and the, uh, the, the conceit at a certain point becomes that she's, you know, basically sitting there with the board, you know, working the board to bring up these creatures. Okay. So the, so the dialogue that's with Creon and all that, that was never, that was never anything. That was all added. Her, his, Creon's voice, I think is dubbed over her her visual figure in a couple of scenes if i remember okay so at that point i'm and you can correct me if i'm wrong but at that point when he comes in and and like you said the cat man and all that you all are not you basically you're out of that at that point you're just like watching it yeah and i mean and and, and, and i i mean i could go on at length about uh 
how I think, you know, the whole thing was uh, a, a situation where somebody took advantage of the, you know, what they saw as a chance to get a directing credit and turn the film into something else specifically for that purpose. Not because uh, uh, her original claim was that the film was unreleasable as it was, which is like really ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's 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 got a lot of charm about it. And like you said, the practical effects. And it's interesting because I, I know that I could imagine it's probably not what you and the people you're working with envision, but it is funny now in 2023, like films like this are kind of like a lost treasure because. No, I know that. You know, and that's, it's only in, re in recent years since the release of the Blu-ray, really, that the film has gotten enough attention to really even, uh, you know, make it something that, that, uh, you know, more than one or two people here and there even knew about for years, people would ask me what I made and I'd t say spookies. And, and of course the answer was, Oh, I never heard of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I remember seeing the VHS when I was younger and yeah. seeing clips of the effects. And I was like, wow, what is this? You know? Um, and I know that after, I don't know if you have anything to do with this, but I had to ask, there was a movie. It was called killer dead. AKA <laughs> non veg. So you know what this is? It's non vegetarian. How could I not zombies. know what this is? Um, so what is the deal with that? It's like a spiritual sequel to Spooky. No, well, first of all, you're, you're going all right. I, I, man, I could go on at length, right? And I, and it's like, uh, it, it's uh, and and because I don't know, I don't know enough to shut, keep my mouth shut. I'll just say anything that, that <laughs> fine. Uh, Killer Dead is a movie that was directed and produced by my one of my two Spooky's partners. The other was Tom Doran, Brendan Faulkner. Uh, shortly after we made Spookies, decided to do a $50,000 or thereabouts zombie movie called Killer Dead. And he did. Um, the only issue is that it, it never officially got finished for many, many years. Like, mm. like, like many, many years. Like, uh, so we're talking like 1986 or something like that, 87. Uh, to like uh, now, uh, it it got eventually it did get finished in some form and it, and it was bought by a couple of uh, countries uh, uh, other than the USA, and it did go out there as non-vegetarian zombies from outer space, and uh, and and something else I forget something like uh, Plateau of the Dead or something I think there was an Argentinian uh, release uh, with a cover done by. Uh, Tom Molinelli, who was art director for both Spookies and Street Trash. Wow. Yeah, Vinegar and, Syndrome needs this movie. Like, I, well, I here's the thing. Vinegar Syndrome has essentially made that clear to Brendan that they wanted it. And, I mean, I don't know what to say. I can't speak for him. He has, over all this time, I've, for many years, I was heard, oh, you know, it's being finished or some new scene is being shot or, I mean, currently, uh, supposedly special effects need to be redone. But it, it, does not have any, as far as I know, definite release date. It might sometime soon. I, I, I don't know enough about anything. And I think uh, at this point, it's it's valuable mostly as a piece of film history, uh, in that it's uh, it contains a lot of the same cast and crew as Spookies. Yeah, I one thing, one thing I did want to ask, and I know Jay and uh, TJ and Jay have some more stuff they want to talk about, but. With Street Trash, um, I rewatched it again, and the thing that really sticks out to me about that movie 
is not really the make it's not really the effects it's not the melting it's mm-hmm. not all the stuff people talk about it's there is a vibe to that movie a creepy vibe that i just was like so i mean it's really impressive i i agree with, and I, I understand what you're saying and i and i've always felt more or less the same thing because i think the whole film it's not just the melting yeah the melting seems to go you know beyond just like blood effects but at the same time our attitude was i mean we we went without there was no rating on the film because we would have received an x rating right right but our logic was all right wait a minute we're going to receive an x rating because some guy is like spouting blue and yellow i mean (laughs) what what are you relating that to blood it's not blood uh so it it uh it was kind of perplexing but the film would have gotten an x rating for a lot of other stuff in it in in the meantime um I, there was a conscious effort. Not, I, I wouldn't say to be offensive. I would simply just say to be outrageous and not to, to and not to hold back if if an idea occurred where you because there there you know for the average movie you come up with certain ideas and you go oh well I can never do that because you know either the audience wouldn't accept it or you know you'd be arrested in some county somewhere or or whatever it comes down to. So there was definitely a conversation with. Oh, there were lots because, of conversations, but it wasn't like we're sitting there like, oh, how can we be offensive or disgusting or outrageous? It was more like, you know, if an idea occurred and, and, and it was creative or funny and and people, you know, from all of the production got to voice a lot of, uh, you know, their their ideas in many cases and ideas were and suggestions were, were taken all the time. But I think that's something that contributed to it. The G- Jim Muro was a first time director, but he was very, uh, you know, open to like working with everybody. And he was, uh, you know, he ultimately wound up with, I think, uh, what is a really damn good first feature film. Yeah, I mean, it's just, there's something about it that's, there's a lot of things like with PTSD and Vietnam. And I just, right. I just really think that's kind of overlooked in the history of that movie. It's it's almost like people think it's just a trauma movie, which it is similar to that. Right. But, but it, there's a it lot has that repu- it has that reputation for several reasons. And and, and this includes uh, uh the way Lloyd Kaufman apparently looks at it, which is he he supposedly was you know, he got first of all there there were, you know, other there are contradictory stories I've heard, but I I, I was told that he uh you know, felt that like Street Trash sort of ripped off his style from his tra- early trauma films. And the fact is, uh, when we were making Street Trash, I don't even know if the Toxic Avenger had yet been released exactly. And none of us had seen any of those films. And we did, we wound up using some of the same people he cast in trauma movies because they're New York actors and they came to us and they auditioned. So, I mean, we just, you know, we we uh, we cast as, as we chose. We didn't, you know, we didn't try to ape trauma in any way. I think the way it's, the similarity is that they're both sort of casually excessive, intentionally, not casually exactly, but intentionally and without necessarily, uh, you know, call it, call, causing uh, causing it to seem even so offensive. A lot of it is done sort of casually. And it's, but I think more so in Street Trash. I don't think we were, you know, aside from the melting scenes, which we thought would be like really different, there, I don't think there was an attempt made for, you know, to get the audience upset or anything, but but we knew we came up with some extreme stuff. It was just that we didn't put any holds on pretty much anything. So the question I know anyone who's seen Street Trash and might recognize you from the film is dying to know, 
is is everything okay down there did you get that thing reattached yeah or? yeah in fact i uh i did a, a personal appearance uh in uh, Asheville, north carolina about a about three weeks ago at the uh orbit dvd video store it's a very yes yeah very good area yeah they were they were really great um and they brought me a penis at one point and made me pose with it. Uh, and it was like, it was severed and, and bloody. Oh, wonderful. Did y'all play, yeah. play a hot potato with it? No, it's been suggested. I mean, I just started doing, I did my first convention nearby there. I, I, I was also doing the uh, uh, creepy con in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. And it's been suggested to me and it's been offered by people I know who do effects work that, oh, we could, you know, we could make some penises and then you could sell them and sign them. And I just, it's like, I can't see doing that at some convention where there, you know, there are kids running around and it's like, I've got a dildo shop on my table. <laughs> There's probably a market for it. Just saying. Oh, I know. I'm guaranteeing you there. I actually had, to, I mentioned this to somebody who said they would buy one. So I thought, mm, uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so what, what do you think the legacy of street trash is today for, for people like our generation who discovered it? Later, well, it's really after on DVD. The two films we've been talking about, they both came, uh, uh, you know, their their uh, notoriety is is very different in terms of the path taken. Street Trash has pretty much always been around since the time it was released. And it's slowly, it, almost from the start, it started to get, you know, attention from the people who would like that kind of thing. But as uh, years went by, especially I think after it went on to DVD, at a certain point, it just became well-known enough so that it became sort of an institution on its own and that's really either has happened or is on the verge of happening with spookies and that so many people are now familiar with it that weren't at one time and uh you know at the same time so many other people just really will go on and on about how it was a, a valuable part of their childhood and it, it encouraged their interest in in the genre you know and i've had so many other people say that you know they were inspired about it uh, inspired, inspired by it to go into makeup or to go into filmmaking themselves. And that means a lot. Absolutely. And, and yeah. special effects, um, really the creature effects on spookies and then the special effects, the melting effects on street trash, they still hold up today with, with you know, it's amazing. They, they, they mostly do. And even, even though the truth is on both films, there were a lot of unexpected problems because a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, we were working, uh, you know, on, on, on spookies. I mean, we had people who were very talented, but they were still at the beginning of their careers and still learning how to do certain things. And uh, on Street Trash, uh, you know, the melting effects required a lot of fooling around and experimenting with before they really looked right on film. Uh, we did, uh, in, in the case of, of both films, we really did not do any tests of major effects, which is something I would avoid in the future. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really surprising. And, and, and on a film like that also, um, it throws a lot of extra time into your schedule, you know, in a, in a more or less normal movie where you're not forced to stay there for hours at a time to try and get effects that work correctly and keep redoing shots over and over again. Um, you know, that, that's a whole other aspect of filmmaking that, that, uh, normal people don't have to contend with, but it's, uh, I think, uh, it's the kind of work that's necessary to get the reactions that the film continues to get over the years, Street Trash specifically. But even with Spookies, I, that, that film was done at a time where there were a lot of films utilizing effects like that, mostly inspired by Gremlins. 
and then you had ghoulies and and uh uh you know like several others especially from uh companies uh that uh you know specialized in that kind of stuff where they were churning you know, charles band was turning out stuff right. by the barrel full at that time and overall from other compared with other movies done at that time i think our effects are actually for the most part better and i know stuff like ghoulies had like a far bigger budget than, than we ever had but somehow uh the stuff we did it, it just looks better it, it moves better it looks less cheap yeah and you you can always tell and appreciate especially people who who grew up in our generation who appreciate the practical real effects over CGI. i i i think special effects uh because CGI became so commonplace and people got so used to it, I think there's a real, I mean, I reached my saturation point a few years ago with CGI, but I think the mainstream audience is getting to that point also, you know, where they, um, they're aware when something is CGI and they're also aware when something probably isn't CGI. And I think they, even if it's just subconsciously, I think the viewer knows, all right, this, I, I'm more, my, you know, this is much more impactful because I know somebody did this. Yeah. So looking at your filmography, you know, we got spookies, we got street trash, and then it looks like we have a, a pretty long gap until more recently. Yeah. That's because I spent years working uh, in various other fields and I uh, spent an enormous amount of time still working with my spookies partner, Tom Doran. Uh, trying to raise money for additional movies and never really gave up and and had like endless projects come you know this close and just never quite coming together uh you know i mean tom tom had a a pet uh his, scottish historical project he wanted to do he was from scotland and he uh at, eventually came very close to it a guy from scotland got in touch with him they came very close to doing a deal they he had a contract and then he, at the, the last minute, after after making it clear his only motivation in doing this was to direct this film, uh, the uh, backer or potential backer tried said, "Oh well, there's some hot young director I've been told that I should get," and uh, at that point things just uh, fell out of place. So, what what advice, given given you know all all of the the stuff that you've been through with productions happening almost happening what advice would you give young filmmakers starting out particularly in horror films today young or old or anybody it's really a matter of you just can't expect it to easily happen you have to for, to begin with you have to be seriously willing to do work to spend time to be dedicated i mean you can do a lot of stuff half-assed and and crappily and, and some people make a career on that but i don't think that's anything to aspire to really um i i think you have to want it enough to to be willing to put up with the frustration involved because even the most successful filmmakers uh either you know wind up at a certain point uh where things fall apart for them and they suddenly don't have the power they had and they can't really do what they were doing before or in some cases, I mean, people just, uh, you know, I mean, many Hollywood filmmakers with names go through one project after another, just like, you know, I was talking about before that it's almost financed and then it falls apart and then on to something else. And that repeats itself. And uh, it's one of the, the things you have to put up with in the business. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting here drinking some 10 of 5 Viper now. Just oh, really? What's it like? See what happens. <laughs> or New Amsterdam with a sticker on it, whatever you want to call it. So. I just have a couple of questions and then we'll wrap things up. So you were in Igor and the Lunatics? Yes, that was all. Um, 
Myself uh, and my partners, Tom and Brendan from Spookies, got involved with that picture. It was shooting in Westchester County near where we, we lived in New York State. Uh, and initially they just started visiting the set as observers and then started giving some advice because it was the first time director and producer. And uh, eventually they were asked to direct uh, like horror scenes because there were, despite the fact that it was supposedly a horror film, there were uh, very little, there was very little in the way of horror elements in any of the script that was originally being done. And so they just, you know, they just came onto it and then I got invited to get involved and I was the production manager on it for like a month or so. I watched it for the first time this week, which is a trauma movie. I think, like I said earlier, like I love street trash. It's the most trauma, non-trauma movie I've ever seen in my life. And, and, right, and that's I, it. I will boast that I think it's far better made than any trauma movie. Oh, you're not wrong. Like, it's fantastic. Like, I've, I've probably watched it six times now. And it's something I've come to more recently. Like, I probably saw it for the first time in the last 10 years. And as soon as I watched it, I'm like, I, I went and bought it. I'm like, I have to own this. Like, it's and like John was like kind of touched on. There's something about it. I can't put my finger on it either. I think I there's a just, I mean, part of what, what makes it different is that it's a horror movie, but it's also a comedy and it's got like this tremendous energy. There's always something happening. There's always something new being introduced. There's, there's always some other thing that comes out of nowhere with characters. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's genuinely entertaining, you know? Yeah. Well, I think for people who can't handle a lot of what's depicted, it's genuinely upsetting to them. And now it, it, the film was, the film was considered tasteless when we made it just because of the, 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 the effects and yeah, oh, it's homeless people, whatever, but the homeless were packed, packing the streets of New York back in the eighties when it was made, it was not really that far removed from reality. And, uh, you know, nowadays, I mean, from younger people, I, I, you know, I frequently hear the, the comment that it depicts the homeless in a poor light. And I, and I agree. Yeah. But it depicts everybody in the film in a poor light pretty much. Right. Yeah. So last question, and then we'll close up. Between Spookies and Street Trash, which one are you more favorable towards? Like, which oh, one do you have a bigger connection? By to? far Street Trash, because I, even though uh, I can't claim a writing or directing credit on it, I was like really, you know, central to the whole production. I mean, I was there. I was one of the core group of people that every time we did a, a re-edit that we, you know, that my opinion was, was taken into account and, uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 I really, and I was there on the film from, you know, the beginnings of talk about it, right, you know, through the end of, of production and post-production and marketing and et cetera. So I, I feel like I was very personally involved. And what it came down to ultimately is I was more involved than I was allowed to be with Spookies or Twisted Souls as it started out. Because, uh, you know, we were, we were at odds with, with a lot of aspects of what we were told we had to do to begin with. Um, we constantly had new suggestions being thrown at us, uh, which we usually managed to get rid of by saying, oh, are you going to pay for that? And then he would forget about the thing he had just suggested. Uh, I, I, th I think Street Trash ultimately comes off, you know, des definitely in, in, a, in a much higher, uh, uh, at a much higher level than, than Spookies could. I mean, Spookies was just turned into a, an entirely different film. Uh, I was not crazy, and I've admitted this in the past, I was not crazy about our screenplay because we never got to do uh, subsequent drafts. We worked from a first draft of, of Spookies, which is really not a good thing to do when you're making films. Um, but we had so many other things to take care of to get into production that it, it never came up. And he wasn't complaining about it 
so I guess <laughs> we didn't get to it. Um, but street trash was allowed to be sort of honed and polished. And I can't tell you how many times I, I watched various scenes and the entire film just on a, on a movieola table with, a, you know, several people there reviewing stuff again and again and again to really determine what works, what doesn't work. Is this funny? Should we do something else? It, it really, a lot of effort was put into, into making it. I think, uh, the, you know, the, the fact that it moves so fast and, and is, I, I feel it's the kind of film that even if you don't like it, you have to recognize some of the, the, the effort and creativity that goes into it. I mean, some people won't, but, but it's, to me, it's pretty much there. It's, it's, uh, it's not the average film. It's better made than a lot of far more expensive films, I would say. Yeah. And I, I just love like eighties, New York backdrop films, like that grittiness, like that, that's part of the allure for street trash for me too. Yeah, well, you got to realize in back in 80s New York, it's like almost anywhere you went in New York City had that kind of atmosphere still. So it was not really hard to to get a certain look. And and we shot uh, exteriors, uh, you know, I mean, we shot in the junkyard. A lot of the exteriors we shot were in the vicinity of that junkyard. Others were in, uh, in you know, Manhattan, in New Jersey. But uh, I mean, uh, there was a lot more rundown area and space in at that time. I mean, there was... Uh, there was there was quite a bit of abandoned area that no one was living in. Yeah, and and with spookies too. Like upon multiple viewings, you can kind of tell there were just too many hands trying to do too many things, and I hate well, that because what it part of it been... is that the part of it is that the added material seems so forced in. It's not. It doesn't relate to anything that's actually going on. It's sort of just pushed into certain scenes in certain ways, and I think uh it becomes fairly obvious after a while while you're watching <laughs> yeah uh, yeah sadly so all right so let's wrap things up um be sure to go subscribe to our youtube channel subscribe to wherever you're listening to this podcast uh, we have a playlist on amazon music if you have that too follow us on instagram um come back next week i'm not sure what episode we're doing yet but we'll figure it out uh, frank thank you again um and we, well, i'm gonna we do my, i'm gonna do you. my plug now because i'm working yeah. on spookies too which is designed to make up for decades of inability to get film made awesome and and when you get it done please come back and and tell us all about it i hope you'll uh, you'll hear about it I'm, I'm intending to make a big noise about it in the coming year so do you have any other cons coming up at all i haven't booked anything yet i i it took me a while just to get everything together to do this first convention between i, I created merchandise i i you know really wanted to to do it right etc uh but I'm really, I'm now I'm pretty much set, uh, you know, all I have to do is throw things into a suitcase and I can start going to additional conventions. Uh, but I, I'm also making connections to, to various connect, uh, conventions and regions of the country. I'm, I'm trying to get a rep uh, for this kind of thing because it's, uh, it's become bigger and bigger business through the years. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, one thing at a time. It's like, unfortunately, now I need a staff of six people and I only have myself and I have a partner, uh, Dave Williamson, who's working with me. But, uh, you know, there's only so much that you can do if, if you're so many people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We uh, we love Orbit DVD. I, I've been there several times. Uh, I'll actually be there in about two weeks. So, um, well, terrific. Yeah. I mean, yeah. tell them, tell them you talk, you talk to me because I mean, I, I really enjoyed the place. The whole staff was, was just really beautiful. Um, I think, uh, I, I wish there was a video store equivalent to that in almost every town in America. 
And I don't understand how, because they, when I was there, even they seem to be doing a reasonable amount of, of in-store business. And, you know, and the fact is the store was far bigger than I expected it to be. So I, I don't know what could be done to make every city in the country be able to sustain that kind of an establishment. Yeah. It would be awesome. We recently have gotten one uh, close to us. Uh, our buddy Jesse Butler opened up Danger Zone video, which is very similar. He focuses a little bit more on VHS, but it still right. has that same vibe. And it's nice that it's like 20 minutes away from me because Orbit is not 20 minutes away from Nashville, unfortunately. Uh, and which is good because I would be broke constantly. Yeah. So, right. So. Yeah. Understand. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's it for this episode. I'm Jay with Frank, John, and TJ. And until Thanks for next having time, me. Keep it spooky. See what I did there?